This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today joined by Dave Prentice and Adam Jones as we chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park for a second time this week. And, of course, look ahead to Sunday's trip to Selhurst Park. Um, and that's where we'll start today's pod, Preno. Obviously, a belting win on Monday night, dramatic, thrilling, electrifying. Um, what sort of proposition and how do we go about maintaining some of that momentum uh, uh, in uh, in South London on Sunday afternoon? Well, it's going to be a very, very difficult game. Uh, no mistake. I mean, Palace are you know, one of the much, well, probably the most improved sides in the Premier League since the start of the season. Even the start of the season, they've been performing well, just weren't getting the results maybe that their play deserved. And uh, they've got like a number of danger men there, you know, so it's it's going to be tricky. Well, historically, uh, it's the place that we've gone and we've done okay generally. You know, it's like Arsenal at Goodison tend to be, you know, so one of those games that we have done okay against in recent years. Likewise, Palace away. Uh, so we just need to build on the momentum generated on Monday. I mean, it's a completely different fixture now uh, after what happened on Monday. You know, if that had to be in another shall we say, draw or the defeat, you know, suddenly it's like massive downer going into the game. Everyone's full of, you know, sort of doom and gloom. And yet there was such a great air of positivity about the place after the result on Monday that, you know, you could see the players absolutely loved it. And they also worked really, really hard to get it. You know, that image of, you know, Seamus Coleman leaning over Damari Gray saying, come on, we need you, get back up. It'll stay with me for a long time. So hopefully, you know, so that will carry on into the game on Saturday. And they'll need to work hard uh, to get a result. But, you know, even a draw now is, is a decent enough result down at Palace on the back of what happened on Monday night. Do we even think of something better than that? Maybe. Uh, but, you know, amazing what a difference, you know, so one match can make. And hopefully that will make a big difference on Sunday. Yeah, you mentioned um, how hard they worked. Um, I think at the very start of the press conference, um, Prana Rafa, I'm not sure if you caught it, Rafa said something along the lines of Monday night was the furthest the team had run um, in four years. I mean, I, we haven't been able to check that out, but we assume that's that's correct. And he's not just <laughs> not just pulling one out of the hat, but yeah, four years, which is quite remarkable, really. Well, no, he's very, very big on his stats, isn't he? And he's uh, he's mentioned it a couple of times in recent press conferences about distance covered. And uh, I think he's, you know, so trying to get that message across to the players that, you know, look, if you do put in the uh, the hard work, you do get the results. And um, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about the left back situation a little bit later on. Maybe it was a little, you know, sort of pointed dig in that direction that, you know, he wants him to work a little bit harder. I don't know. Uh, but he's very, very keen to accentuate, you know, sort of the rewards that hard work can bring. And it's true. You know, so even the very, very best teams, you know, your Chelsea's, your Liverpool's and your Manchester City's, you look at their distance covered and it's absolutely outrageous. I mean, Klopp made a big deal of that when he came in at Liverpool, you know, sort of telling them how hard he wanted them to work. It's got to be done. Also, it helps when you work really hard and you've got absolutely top-class players like they have as well. We haven't got the top-class players they've got, but by working very, very hard, you can achieve results that maybe, you know, so other teams can't. So it's, you know, over to the players, try and keep it going. Mm, are, you, are you feeling um, encouraged ahead of the trip to South London on Sunday? Are you, are you positive that the team can maintain the momentum? Because the last thing we want is to, on the back of an excellent win to then go back two steps and lose or or what have you at, uh, at Palace on Sunday? Well, that's it. I think you've got to be... Well, you've got to try and be optimistic, haven't you? And you've got to hope that this Arsenal game uh, is setting the standard, essentially, of what's to come rather than being an outlier of, you know, what had been a horrendous run of form going into that game. You know, you don't want to fall back into 
old habits going away from home. You know, obviously Everton have got a fantastic travelling support, but I think Crystal Palace have got fantastic home support as well, haven't they? So we're not going to have the you know that Goodison Park atmosphere behind us next time around. So it's another challenge for the players to see if they can take this on, take that little bit of momentum. And you know what's important is that Rafa Benitez, you know, over the last few weeks he's been saying, oh, bringing key players back is going to be an important factor, but. He was also saying that, you know, getting that first result on board, getting that little bit of confidence back is really going to be the important factor as well. And I think that's probably what we're coming up to, what is going to be the real test of that sort of view that Rafa Benitez had. Because if we were to go into this game against Crystal Palace, who, let's be honest, haven't been in a fantastic run of form themselves. If we were to go into this game now and fall back into, you know, the old habits of the Brentford game, let's say, and, you know, we were, you know, too passive... I would say not creating enough chances, not taking the half chances that we did uh, manage to create. If we were to fall back into that habit, then you know it, it, it just completely demoralises everybody again, doesn't it? It demoralises the fan base, and you know you're looking ahead then to a really, really tough game against Chelsea, and you know things could spiral out of control again. So this this is really an important game to for these players to, as Breno was saying, just put in that hard work, them hard yards again. That can. That can be the difference a lot on a lot of occasions. You know, you've seen so many times in the Premier League that you know sides that work the hardest are the ones that can consistently pick up the results, even if they are missing key players. So, you know, the fact that Everton are going to be without still Dominic Calvert Lewin, Yeti Mean is going to be out again, of course. So there's still going to be key players missing, but you know, the players who do take to the pitch need to put their all in and uh, try and get a good result because it's not just about beating. Uh, you know the quote unquote bigger sides at home, the likes of Arsenal. You know if Everton are to get to where they want to be, they need to go to the sides, the likes of Crystal Palace, and you need to pick up positive results. So it's all down to the players to see if they can do that now. You mentioned no Calvert Lewin, of course, again um, at the weekend. The club I've just in the last sort of ten minutes put out images of him back in uh, individual training, so not still not back with the squad. So, you know, still still somewhat away. Our latest sort of information was it wouldn't be before Christmas. So, you know, given we're on the 10th of December, you would think that's probably still fairly accurate. Um, Prano, you mentioned the left-back situation. We have to talk about it again. We spoke about it on Tuesday, but it's a huge topic of debate. Rafa asked numerous times about it today. Um, do you expect to see Luca Dean in the squad on Sunday? Um I genuinely don't know. I hope so. Uh, you know, we're led to believe that, you know, the relationship hasn't severed entirely, you know, so there is still the opportunity for him to be brought back into the fold, you know, so should he want to show the required levels of commitment and discipline that the manager wants? If he doesn't, well, you know, we are looking at like, you know, maybe a January exit or, you know, sort of being frozen out, which helps absolutely nobody. I mean, the manager is very, very stubborn. We know that, but also, you know, he is the manager. You know, so he wants uh, particular things from his players, and it's up to the players to show that they can, you know, sort of deliver what he wants. Otherwise, they're not going to be part of things. So I think in this situation, it's down to Luca Dean. You know, it's up to him to say, well, okay, you know, so you want me to focus more on defending rather than overlapping and crossing. You want me to work a little bit harder. And his defensive performances haven't been great, you know, so over the last, you know, so six months or so. I can think of a number of occasions where he may have closed down things a little bit better. We tend to focus more when we talk about Luca Dean on his offensive capabilities because they're, they're excellent, you know, so he creates so much as, you know, crossing is wonderful. 
uh, but the manager wants something different from him and you know it's you have to give the uh the, the responsibility to the manager you know so his head's on the line you know he's proven in the past he can turn uh winning teams out of you know to the squads that he's been given and he wants to do it in a particular way goodison so you know i think we need to you know sort of bow to his superior judgments and say okay fine this is what you want you know so let, let's let's see you, you know sort of do it but that means luca dean needs to you know basically uh kowtow to what the manager wants and, and put a shift in you know so and prove that he can do it i hope he is involved I hope he does start. I hope that means Ben Godfrey's back at centre half again, um, and you know, so we can go forward from there. But we'll have to wait and see. Once again, we'll be eagerly scanning the team trees on Sunday because the manager didn't actually confirm or deny anything today. He was asked a number of times, like you say, and he was clearly going to give nothing away. Uh, so you know, it's up to Luca Dean. I think, come on, you know, so we can get get stuck in and show the manager you can do what he wants. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, Adam, for me, I just thought it was quite telling that because Rafa obviously would have been well prepared that he was going to get asked a lot of questions about Luca Dean. It's still a huge topic of conversation um, for Evertonian. So he, he would have known that those questions were coming. And if Luca Dean was definitely going to travel, he had the perfect opportunity to just nip it in the bud and go, he's in the squad. He didn't. He said that he will decide on Saturday. That for me set the alarm bells ringing, and I, I at this stage I don't expect to see him uh, in the in the matchday squad. Yeah, I think I think I completely agree. To be honest, I was kind of expecting Rafa Benitez to maybe come out and say he'll be involved in the squad, whether he's going to be in the starting lineup or not yet. Then you know that's something that I'm going to decide closer to the time. And I, I think that you know you can you can accept that really, can't you? But the fact that he wouldn't even commit to saying that he's going to be in the squad, I think that was. As you say, quite a pointed thing. I mean, I was I was surprised to see him. Well, everybody was surprised to see him out of the squad on Monday night. I mean, if he was dropped from the starting lineup, then fair enough. But to drop him from the squad completely just seemed like a really, really bold move from Benitez. And you know, I think we were discussing on Monday night where we you've got to wonder how much Yeri Mina's return played into this. You know, the fact that he could bring Mina back into the side, he could then move Godfrey over to left back. Uh, I think Mason Holgate came on and did quite well, to be honest, when Yeni Mina got injured on Monday night. But is he going to now trust Holgate to play centre-back again and move Godfrey over to left back? It's it's a really interesting one. You wonder if Yeni Mina's injury might be a, a little bit of a lifeline for Luca Dean to come back into the squad and be involved again. And, you know, as as Preno said, you know, he, he is still a, a top quality player and you want to see Everton's top quality players involved in squads like this, don't you? As, and again, I agree with Preno that Luca Dean, I don't think, has been living up to his own high expectations, both in terms of his attacking ability and uh, his defensive ability as well. But Rafa Benitez was making a lot of pointed sort of remarks today, wasn't he? That no individual is more important than the team and that he was going to he seemed to be basing his uh his team selection on what he's going to be better for the 11 players involved rather than just you know maybe bowing to an individual's needs so it's good it's just a really interesting situation for for dean right now you can only assume that he's given his absolute best in training it was interesting to see him earlier in the week kind of brushing off any any sort of talk that there'd been a major feud between the pair he was kind of just said on instagram that it was 
the manager's decision and he accepts that that's part of football. So, you know, you've got to hope that Luca Dean is now just getting his head down, working as hard as he can, and he's just got he's just got his you know blinkered mindset to try and work his way back into the team because realistically, that's what we we all want to see. We all want to see Everton's best eleven playing to their full potential. And uh, Luca Dean certainly is. Well, he's Everton's only left recognised left back at the minute, but he certainly, even if we had uh, Niels and Kunku available and whatever, like he he still is Everton's best left back. He's one of the best left backs in the Premier League when he's on his game. So everybody just wants to see Lucas Luca Dean playing his best football. So if he can get his head down in, in training and you know work his way back into the squad and hopefully get back to that level, then that's what we all want to see. But you know, as you say, it's not. It's not looking good for this weekend, at the very least. Yeah, you know, Adam's right in that respect in saying that you know we do recognise that when Dean's on form, he is one of the best left backs in the Premier League. But actually, is is the kind of the the the, the sort of the heart and the core of the point is that yeah, when Lucas going forward and Lucas has that that license to continue to get to the byline and play in a more offensive way, yeah, he is one of the best left backs. But now Rafa's asking him to do more defensive work. Clearly, defensively is something he's not as comfortable with. It's not as it's not a strong point, or certainly not as strong as his attacking sense. Is that where the players' frustrations are, are creeping into uh, conversations with Rafa, whether they're arguments or not, and ultimately led to this point? Because Dean feels he's going to make an impact on the game by being allowed to attack. Rafa's saying, actually, your defensive duties are more important. And so the player... He's ultimately concerned that he's not going to be able to sort of, for want of a better phrase, look good and make make the impact he thinks he can. Yeah, and it's uh, it doesn't look good long term uh, for you know Luca Dean's Everton future. Managers have their own set you know sort of, you know ideas about what they want you know in their players and how they want their team to play. I'm reminded a little bit of a, a situation we had you know so a while ago with another left back at Goodison, uh, Andy Hinchcliffe, who was. Absolutely top class. He was an England international, uh, but his best work was undoubtedly going forward, putting crosses in and set piece deliveries, especially so much so that you know Glenn Hoddle made him part of the uh, the England setup when he won a number of England caps. Howard Kendall came back to Goodison for a third time and didn't fancy him, just didn't didn't like him at all about his character, his personality, and ended up moving him on very quickly to Sheffield Wednesday, which was bizarre. You know, so a man of his quality. Deserved to be playing on a much better stage than that, and had nothing against Sheffield Wednesday, but you know, he did, and it was weird. You know, similar situation before. Um, you know, so his England call up when he was um, playing, a, you know, so in the reserves, effectively you know, under Mike Walker, and it was Joe Royal's arrival that you know so brought the very, very best out of him. Managers have you know sort of set ideas about particular players, and you get the impression that Rafa Benitez has a set idea already about Luca Dean, and it's not a positive one. Uh, I think he wants a more solid, more defensively minded left back, uh, and he's going to let you know other players worry about the creativity further up the pitch. You know, your Damari Graves, your Richarlisons, and what have you. Um, he's actually taken Luca Dean offset pieces, which has got to be a real blow to the, the the guy's pride and his ego. I would imagine straight away because you know his set piece deliveries were good. Um, I mean, I don't think we've suffered in that respect because we're still getting good quality balls in. You know, so from Townsend and Co. But that's going to hurt the player himself. So, you know, long term, I can only see it ending badly, really, as far as Luca Dean and his long term members and future goes, because the manager already appears to have set his stall out as to what he wants from Luca Dean, and it's at odds what the player himself wants for himself. Uh, so, I think long term, you know, it probably will end in a in an exit. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, you don't often believe that players can recover from uh, 
from being uh, bombed out of a squad so so abruptly and and having this sort of simmering tension with a manager fr- fr- from that point of view anyway. But um, Adam, let's sort of uh, move on then. Uh, two other exits uh, from the football club this week on the back of Marcel Brands' departure. Greta Steinson, head of recruitment and development, and Dan Purdy, head of scouting and operations, have gone. What is that telling you? Although the, this review of the football structure has only just begun, what is it telling you that, that Steinson and Purdy have decided to leave uh, already? It's interesting, isn't it? The, you know, clearly they, they were two people who were working very closely with Marcel Brands over the last uh, couple of years or so. So, you know, maybe it's some sort of loyalty to uh, Marcel Brands in which they've decided to leave the football club. And, you know, in, in a lot of respects, if that is the case, then you can't really argue with that. Maybe they're, maybe they're going to go and work with Marcel Brands wherever he ends up next or something like that. You know, maybe maybe that is the case. But, you know, it, it does kind of also tell you that, you know, Rafa Benitez might have, a lot of a lot of pull in where where Everton are going to be going in the future. He did kind of mention this in his press conference, didn't he? That you know when he was asked about uh, this strategic review, as Everton have been calling it, uh, in in the future, that you know he, he's he's involved in the conversations at least. You know when he's asked for his feedback, he's given his feedback, and you know he said he does. He won't argue with the director of football model, a manager model, a head coach model. He's he's worked with all of them in the past, so. You, know, you do wonder how much influence Rafa Benitez is is going to have in the future. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't be that shocked about this because at the end of the day, he's Farhad Mashiri's man, isn't he? So, you know, Farhad Mashiri probably will be leaning upon Rafa Benitez a little bit in the uh, in the course of the next few weeks, days, weeks, months, however however long this strategic review is uh, is going to take. We don't really know uh, as of yet, but yeah, it just seems that well. I think we know that looking ahead to the January transfer window, at least that it's going to be Rafa Benitez's sort of sort of plan for who's going to be incoming, outgoing, etc. But what's really going to be interesting is what's going to happen next summer, of course, when you're going to expect a bit more of a overhaul of the current squad. You know, a few players going coming to the ends of their contracts. You know, maybe a little bit more leeway in terms of wage bill and where Everton can can take that on so it's going to be really interesting to see whether there's you know a new director of football in place whether Mark, like Rafa Benitez is going to be the main man by that point and uh, you know whether the the likes of Steinson and Perdy are going to be uh, replaced by that point and you know you'd presume that he probably would be you know one man can't do all the recruitment so he does need some sort of recruitment team behind him even if it is Rafa Benitez who's going to be uh, the sort of leader behind transfers but yeah, it, it is. It is quite interesting to see, and it maybe just hints to me that Rafa Benitez is going to have uh, that little bit more control than the you know previous Everton managers over the last couple of years might not have had. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It's a few weeks, at least. I say a few weeks uh, optimistically. It's probably only a week, but given how much we talk about it, but it's a few weeks at least since we've spoken about January specifically. Um, as we sit here now, what, 10th of December, sort of 20, 20-odd 20 days away from the window opening. Uh, if Everton, hypothetically, were in a position to sign one player, what position do you think Rafa should go and target? Oh, wow. Um, there's so many, you know, sort of deficiencies and, you know, needs in that squad. Oh, I think right back still has been the big problem that, you know, we've not addressed for so, so long. 
but it all depends on availability. <coughs> Excuse me. Is there, you know, sort of decent quality right back available that we could bring in in the January transfer window? Um, we're led to believe that it is only going to be loan signings that, you know, so can be brought in as a result of the financial fair play situation, unless something mad happens, like, you know, so Luca Dean does, you know, so move on somewhere else and it creates, you know, uh, an opportunity that way. Uh, but yes, I mean, Seamus Coleman has had, you know, so up and down times, you know, he was decent on Monday night, he, you know, he was poor in the Derby match. And there's an awful lot of games coming thick and fast over the, you know, sort of January period. Is he going to get through them all uh, unscathed? We don't know. You know. So if anything happens to him, okay, Ben Godfrey can play there. You know, so John Joe Kenny's still in the squad. But it's like putting square pegs in round holes again. And uh, if the availability is there and we can bring in a player, you know, so of good quality, you know, so to either, you know, deputise for Seamus or replace him, uh, I think that would be the priority. But there are other areas of the squad as well. So depending on, you know, so what the availability is, you know, so in the January transfer window, you may choose to look at that also. But for me, right back, but yeah, there are plenty of other opportunities as well, you know, deficiencies in the squad. So it could be anything, to be honest. Adam, what would your priority be if, if hypothetically we uh, we could only make one one addition? What should it be? Um, Probably centre mid for me. I think it's interesting to hear Preno talking about right back because I think it is really close between centre mid and right back because I did see, you know, a little bit earlier on today, I think it was reports in the Daily Mail that Ainsley Maitland Niles is again going to be looking for a move in the January transfer window because he's not happy with his playing time at Arsenal. I mean, imagine my shock that he's that he's <laughs> yeah. not that he's been sold nope. down the river a little bit and he's not actually gonna get game time at Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, nobody saw that coming, did they? Well, exactly. But I mean, is that something that Everton could perhaps pursue again? You know, if they were so interested in the summer, then I, I wouldn't be shocked to see uh, if them testing the waters again in in uh, in the January transfer window. And let's be honest, he's somebody you can cover. You know, right back, right mid, uh, centre mid as well. If uh, if if we need to, although I'd rather I'd rather see him used as a right back rather than anything else. But. I just think in terms of uh, a centre mid, I think just over the course of this season, obviously we had Decore and Allen start the season very well as a midfield pair, and but I think there was still you know some some deficiencies that uh, were maybe getting papered over by the fact that you know those two players were playing just so well. Uh, as soon as Decore kind of got injured, I think we we really saw how uh, how big those deficiencies were. I think in terms particularly in terms of like ball retention in the in the midfield and you know progressing the ball forwards i think everton are just really really struggling for consistency you know we have you know some games where alan's quite good at it we have some games where decore even since he's come back from injury has been quite good at it uh, i think andre gomez in particular was quite good at it uh, when he came on against arsenal but i just don't think we've got enough consistency in that department in in terms of you know just just essentially making those simple passes and bringing the ball forward you know fabian delft did it did it uh, quite well for you know the couple of occasions that he's played as well but as i say you can't you can't really consistently rely on delft either can you so i think you know somebody to come into that midfield but i think in turn that'll probably lead it it means a change in system I, think, I still think that a 4-3-3 system is the best way to go with the current squad of players that we've got, even if it is something that Rafa Benitez hasn't really been fond of over his managerial career. Uh, it's something that we saw at the end of that Arsenal game. As soon as we brought in Andre Gomez and switched to that three in midfield, we just looked more we looked more compact defensively and we looked more 
like dangerous offensively. It looked like the those midfield players actually knew their roles a little bit better and they knew what they were what they were doing a little bit more. So I, I guess it feels like it's an option for the manager in game. I, I still mm-hmm. I'd be surprised if he started a match like that, but he certainly it's the players have shown in the in game if he needs to change it with twenty minutes to go, it's an option. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. But if we if we are to stick with this two man midfield, then I just think somebody somebody who's going to come in and just be well, not not just like defensively reliable as well, you know, being able to plug the gaps, for example, when Abdullah Zakori bursts forward and presses, for example, but somebody who's just going to be able to keep possession for us in the midfield because mm-hmm. I, I just don't think we do that well enough. So, yeah, that'll probably be my priority. But as Preno says, you know, finding finding players like that, especially in the January transfer window when we've got our own financial sort of difficulties at the minute. You know, it's not going to be easy, so it's a it's a thankless task, I would have to say. Preno, just going back to the right-back situation, because it's clearly been on the club's agenda for a number of seasons. I mean, what in terms of your take, why do you think it's taken so long and we're still waiting to find the right player? I think the, uh, the financial fair play situation has uh, had a a great deal to do with it because they've had to try and use what little resource we've had available over the last you know, sort of 18 months or so you know sort of plug other areas of the team uh, obviously Denzel Dumfries was somebody that we were talked about in the summer that was you know a, reportedly very high on the wanted list but probably a little bit you know sort of too expensive at the time um so they chose to you know sort of divert the funds elsewhere and look elsewhere um you know three or four years ago it probably would have been the case where we would have spent 25 30 million no problem uh on a right back but obviously that's not the case anymore uh it's it's a failing really of the system isn't it you know we talked earlier about rafa being given effectively full control now of the transfer situation and hopefully that clarity of thinking and focus will prove positive um maybe i'm a little bit old-fashioned in me thinking here but i've always thought that you know so a manager should have the final say, you know, so on transfers. Equally, he does need, you know, sort of backup team of a cast of thousands basically informing him of what's available, you know, so worldwide for him to cast him, which is why the departures of the likes of Steinson and Purdy is not good news for the football club. You know, so you do need people like that. And, you know, hopefully, play, you know, scouts like that would be replaced very, very quickly. But you look at, like, the other successful football clubs and, you know, so Liverpool, Manchester City, okay, they do have, sporting directors that identify players and you know so and, and find them but you know Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola always have the absolute final say Klopp's made that perfectly clear and your know, discussions about him and Michael Edwards's role likewise Pep Guardiola and it'll be the same situation now you know so Rafa he will have the final say and so hopefully because he's identifying the uh, the targets now as well as actually sanctioning them you know so maybe these holes will start to get filled a little bit more quickly Again, the problem being that, you know, so we haven't got that much money anymore. We've got to try and shift players on before we can do that. So it's a bit of a mess. It's been of like so many years making. And, you know, the way of uh, trying to resolve it now is to basically put all the responsibility on one man's shoulders. I mean, fortunately, he's a manager that loves that level of control and loves that responsibility. Uh, Whether he can resolve it, well, time will tell. Mm, indeed, it's a lot of uh, a lot of pressure on Rafa, of course. But as you say, Preno, it's the sort of control that he has always wanted at yeah. previous clubs, and, and and now appears at least in the short term to have at Everton. Um, okay, going back to the game, Ad, um, how do you think the manager will uh, will line up? What do you think his selection will be? Will we see changes? Can you make changes after after such a win? 
I think there's the potential to make changes after after that win because, as I say, like realistically, I would set up with a uh, a midfield three, as as you quite rightly pointed out. Though I don't think that's uh, very likely to happen. Uh, to be honest, the only change that I could potentially see happening is the the enforced one in terms of Mina dropping out the side with that calf problem and. Mason Holgate coming in because, as I say, I think he actually did play quite well against Arsenal. I think he's earned his earned his place back in the side with that performance. Uh, weirdly, but him and Michael Keane have been a centre back partnership for four games this season, and Everton have won three of them, uh, mm. which is which is actually, which is actually pretty decent. And you know, it's an unlikely partnership, but it's one that might just work out for Everton and. No, I don't. I just don't think there's a lot of uh, room to manoeuvre going forward. I would like to see Andre Gomez get some more minutes, but I think it's <laughs> quite rightly accepted that he's probably not ready to start a game yet. I think while he did end up playing well against Arsenal, you could see in those first few minutes he was a bit rusty and trying to trying to get back into the swing of things. So I just think Everton need to be a little bit careful with him. Don't throw him straight back into the starting lineup as of yet. Uh, so that means Andros Townsend. Start against his old club. If he's not been in fantastic form, uh, don't get me wrong. But you know, if he can produce the quality, you know, the quality deliveries that Preno was saying, you know, that one that he did in the first half for Richarlison's first mm. disallowed goal, that was a fantastic cross into the box from that air uh, free kick. And you know, we might need that sort of quality from dead ball situations against Crystal Palace. So, yeah, I, don't, I just don't think there's a lot of room for manoeuvring in terms of actual changes to make at the minute. I don't think Alex Iwobi is somebody that I necessarily want to see. I know Salman Rondon's fit again, so... Maybe <laughs> Alex Iwobi is somebody I don't want to see. That's the headline. Yeah, Alex Iwobi is somebody phrased that Adam very disappointed. Salomon Rondon's fit again, but again, like I don't I don't necessarily think he should come straight back into the starting lineup at any rate. Uh, I think the only maybe stylistic changes I'd maybe put Demani Gray central and I'd put uh, Andros Townsend wide rather than having Andros Townsend central I just think that might that might work a tiny bit better but yeah I think the only the only terms of in terms of the only you know actual personnel change would be Mina dropping out and Holgate coming in because I can't see Dean being involved as we've already said the Royal Blue podcast from the Liverpool Echo Preno, speaking of Damari, great. Um, obviously, playing very, very well, but came to the football club in a real stop-start stop period of his career. You mentioned that that moment on Monday night where Seamus had to, you know, get him up off the floor and tell him how important he was. Any concerns of burnout with Damari? Because we can't really afford to rest him, can we? Um, there's obviously got to be a bit of a concern, uh, you know, because he's, you know, had you know, sort of injury issues in the past. Well, no, that to me indicated, first of all, it was great leadership by Seamus Coleman. And it also indicated that, you know, so he knows the kind of uh, player he's dealing with there. A player that needs maybe his ego massaged a little bit, that little bit of a G up, you know, so come on, you know, so you're great, we need you, that kind of thing. And um, I think that was good, you know, so it was almost like, because he has had a, you know, so groin problems in the last, you know, so a couple of weeks, you know, so obviously sustained in the City game and, you know, so missed the one after that. And so it's important that, you know, so these messages are keep getting reinforced. And I quite like to see that, you know, it's almost like, you know, so bringing it all, bringing all the players together. And, you know, so 
when he scored that winning goal, and the reaction of the players was tremendous. You know, so all over him. You know, so absolutely. You know, so celebrating wildly with him. Uh, the post-match interviews were great. You know, again talking to him about you know so how important he is. So yeah, rather than worry about burnout, I think it's just like get under his skin a little bit and just try and keep building him up and building him up and telling him how important he is to the cause. And hopefully that will produce a positive reaction. I mean, while we were talking earlier about uh, you know so Seamus Coleman maybe needing you know so replaced in terms of. You know, sort of right back terms, that leadership that he brings to the squad is so, so important. And, you know, so you can't really sort of take that away. You know, so he does have a, a, an important part to play still, you know, sort of within the squad, no matter what that role may be. But yeah, Damari Gray brings something that we're not wildly blessed with in terms of pace and creativity and also goal threat as well. Now, that was his fifth, was it, you know, Premier League goal this season. So, you know, it's uh, qualities that you can't really replace that quickly. So, yeah, you know, let's hope that you can get through it all. Uh, unscathed, you know, so over, you know, what is going to be a very, very busy period. I mean, next week's mad, isn't it, with the, uh, you know, the Thursday and Sunday turnarounds? Yeah. So the manager's going to have to juggle his resources, you know, so very, very carefully. Mm, I think I think Adam, despite not wanting to see him, it will be May feature uh, in that run mainly because of uh, <laughs> because you know of... Adam might not be alone with that. <laughs> with, with that <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sure somebody somebody will uh, correct us if we're wrong on this, but I'm sure going back to Damari, I'm sure now that is best season in in terms of goal involvements, as people say these days, in a Premier League season, five goals, two assists. So. You know, he, he arguably is, is in the form of his career, but uh, and hopefully he continues that on Sunday. So before we wrap up, um, predictions time, um, Adam. Crystal Palace versus Everton, 4.30 Sunday, Selhurst Park. How is it going to go? You've just got to ride on that wave of confidence, haven't you? You know what what we've been saying about, uh, you know, Crystal Palace is a tough place to go to. I know they're out of form, but, you know, their home fans are really good. And, I mean, Sunday night fixtures are just a bit... Nobody, nobody mm. really seems up for them, do they? So, you know, there's a, there's a couple of factors at play, but I just think, you know, surely that confidence, uh, that confidence high that this Everton squad should be riding on, should be enough to try and see them through. Still, still not confident of a clean sheet, if I'm honest. I, st- I do still think there's holes defensively that need to be sorted, but a two-one win for Everton seems seems reasonable to me. So I'm going to go for that. 2-1, very good. Uh, Prenna, how do you think it'll go? Well, it does seem reasonable. Um, Palace's attacking threat worries me a little bit. Mm. You know, they have got decent forwards. Um, obviously, Zaha, you know, is, is good enough to cause problems for anybody. I use decent. I like Odson Edward, who's like, you know, sort of come in and done well this season. Benteke, obviously, he's been a thorn on our side in the past. But they've narrowly lost the last three in a row now is it you know they've uh, all their games have been tight recently but they've, they've lost three in succession prior to that they were doing okay you know so they had that famous win at man city and then drew a load so the games tend to be you know sort of quite tight this will be tight again and uh, if we can defend well enough i'm tempted to go for maybe a clean sheet and a one nil away win but realistically speaking i think a draw maybe a one one draw might be the uh the more sensible option. If I was given a £10 free bet and told, yeah, you've got to you know, so stake that on something, I'd probably go on a 1-1 draw. So I'll, I'll stick with that. Yeah, I, I think 1-1 uh, too. And I'll we'll quickly do before we leave, of course, confirmation that uh, the B- BBC have obviously just made it a wonderful Saturday evening, January 5.30, the FA Cup third round tie with Hull, which is not what we wanted. Um, thoughts on that draw, Ad? Uh uh, I just don't like away draws in general, to be honest. I I, I always prefer to be uh, 
to be at Gutterson Park for those kind of games. So it's it's just it is just a potential banana skin, isn't it? You know, a draw like that away on telly, half five on a Saturday evening. Again, it's another sort of kickoff time that nobody really seems up for. So it is just a potential banana skin. I, do, I really do hope that's not the case and the Everton players can uh, can get themselves up for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What were your thoughts when the draw came out? Well, as I was sat there watching it and um, there were still some very, very big sides left in there, as soon as that came out, I thought that'll do. I thought that could have been a lot worse. Obviously, you wanted a Goodison rather than a way. Uh, and obviously, Hull City, we have some very, very bad memories of in recent years. Was that the famous Alcaraz game? And, Gareth Barry playing centre half and you know, sort of all that kind of nonsense. But we had good results there as well. Uh, last match of the season a few years ago, when uh, Romelu Lukaku threw his boot into the crowd and my son caught it and brought it home. And, uh, has Romelu Lukaku's size thirteen boot in his bedroom upstairs? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we've got uh, you know, some decent memories of uh, of trips over there. But no, it could have been a lot worse. And despite your dismay at a five thirty kickoff, as somebody that probably won't be going over there. I'm made up with that. Indeed. Good stuff, chaps. Thanks very much for your company. Thank you for listening. Uh, Adam and I will be at Selhurst Park on Sunday, so uh, keep in touch with us over social media and our website. We'll be uh, covering the game and obviously all the best news analysis and reaction to what is hopefully uh, the momentum being carried on from a Monday night. So thanks very much again. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.